Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. Happy here today to have uh, Brother Cor and Sister Crystal with us, uh, Hayes, and we're thankful that they are here. He's going to be preaching the word, and, and I'm going to let Brother Corey introduce, we all know Crystal. This is Crystal, and uh, we, we love and appreciate her, and uh, she, uh, uh, she has uh, been a part of us, and we're thankful for what God's doing in their lives. But I'm going to let him come to the pulpit and introduce her. We would like for her to give a word of testimony also here today. God bless you, Brother Corey. We appreciate you. Praise the Lord, everybody. It is so good to be in service with you today. There's a look around. There's a lot of honor to give out in this room. Uh, I don't necessarily want to start calling names because I'm going to miss somebody. Somebody's going to get offended at me, and I do not want to offend you today. Unless it's with the Word of God. Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) I don't want to offend you today, but uh, I look around. There's so many familiar faces. This is truly a home away from home. This is a family away from family. Thank you so much for loving us. Uh, I hope I am not labeled here as the man who stole Crystal away. I know (laughs) Sister Burke shrugged. (laughs) You know, I I hope that's not how you view me. you, you, like Brother Burke said, you already know Crystal. You, you, many of you have loved her long before I fell in love with her. Uh, and I, I would like if she would come for just a moment and just address you in a word of testimony today. Well, praise the Lord. I feel like I'm a real small person, so maybe I should just walk from side to side. <laughs> um, I honor the Lord today, and I honor Pastor Burke, Sister Burke. I love being here. It's always a home away from home. It's always a fresh breath there. And um, there's always a sense of a calm here and peace. And I, as we sang in worship and I was praying over there, I had a vision of the Lord. And before I give you that vision, when you have a child or when you have something that you love or someone that you love, something that you claim, something that you have ownership of, you kind of imagine if you physically had to show that, give her hands around it, right? Like, this is mine. I love this. Like, you, you, you protect it. And um, that vision that I just had was beautiful and moving. Uh, and it was the Lord's hands. And he just, I just saw his hands go around the whole building here. And, and I just felt him say, like, this is mine. I love this. And, and I had this vision all while we're worshiping and we're glorifying him and, and honoring him. And I just felt that. And I saw that his hands around this church. This is my church. I love this church. This church is blessed. This church is covered. I've got a future and a hope for this church. I've got plans for this church. And uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful vision. And, I, and I, 
if I'm honest with you today, I wrestled with, I definitely wanted to greet, greet you and tell you I love you and it's good to be home. And, but I also wrestled with what, what could I leave today with Landmark Worship Center and to encourage them. And, um, and I just couldn't get the scripture from Joel off of my mind that the Lord would restore what had been lost everything that the locust had taken and the canker worm had taken and that the Lord would restore that. Excuse me, would restore that. And I know this is a church of, um, we pray for the prodigals all the time. And I believe and I claim and I speak that in the days ahead, that it won't just be Bethalto, but the, the bulk of this congregation will be those prodigals. And I believe that. I believe that. And I think the Lord just honors that willing spirit and that every second of every day that you take advantage of, of every moment you have with every person, family or not, and you show them the love of God and that you live in that constant state that God is going to restore. And I love each and every one of you. I'm glad to be here. Um, Thank you for loving my husband. <laughs> and uh, we are not too far away, and we definitely feel like family as well here. So thank you. I love you. God bless. I invite you to stand with me this morning. I'm going to be reading out of the book of Acts, chapter 2. Before I get to that, a familiar scripture, verse number 12, I'll be reading. But before I get to that, I do want to give honor to your pastor and your pastor's wife today, the whole Burke family. They have truly taken us in. We've had a great time at General Conference. We ran into them there. I, I joked with Brother Burke. I said, every time I saw you from afar off, you were carrying something heavy. You look like you were working. I said, so I very intently did not say hello because I knew that I was going to have to work <laughs> if I did. So uh, I ran into him when he was leaving and not working <laughs> and said hello. And uh, we've had a great time uh, talking and communicating with them and, and just having a great time in their home. Thank you for opening, us, opening, opening up your home and letting us stay with you. We love you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I would like to read out of Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start reading verse number 12. I'm going to read a couple different portions of Scripture, if you will follow along with me. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all that ye dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy." 
And I will shew wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm going to go down to verse number 37 and read there. Now when they heard this, They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many of the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Amen, amen, amen. For just a few moments this morning, I would like to preach this message to you. Simple question, is this that? Is this that? That. I wonder if you can put your Bibles down and raise your hands with me and we pray just one more time. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence. We thank you for the anointing that we feel in this room today. God, I pray, Lord, that you would anoint your word today, Lord, that you would anoint your speaker today, Jesus. God, that you would give me the ability to speak the word the way that you've spoken it to me, Jesus. I pray that you would anoint the ears of the listeners, God, that you would anoint the hearts of the listeners, that they would be open, Lord, to receive your word, God, that something miraculous would happen in this room today. Lord, I know that you've prepared a word for your people, and Lord, I pray that it would sit like fire in this room, God, and that Holy Ghost anointing would fall on us. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we declare and we come with expectation and with praise into your temple today. I wonder if we can just praise him for a few moments, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. I remember in high school, my little town of Bonterre, Missouri, I was given a box cassette tape, a box of cassette tapes when we cleaned out the old attic of our church. And the reason that I was given this box of cassette tapes is because at 16 years old, my first truck was a 1989 GMC S15. It got about nine miles to the gallon. It was atrocious. <laughs> Uh, when we found it, there was a raccoon living under the bench. It was awesome, you know, but that was my first truck. And I was one of the few people around that had a ability to listen to a cassette tape. And at 16 years old, I, I hate to show my age, but I had to have my dad teach me how to work a cassette player. <laughs> and uh, he gave, I got a box of these preaching tapes, and one of my favorite preachers to listen to that was on those tapes was Reverend J.T. Pugh. Now, one of the greatest conviction preachers of the generation before us is Reverend J.T. Pugh. And I remember very specifically on one of these cassette tapes, he was telling a story of him being in downtown Chicago in the mid-1970s. He was there walking the streets one night when he spotted a corner movie theater shining bright with lights and neon. He saw dozens, if not hundreds, of people lined up funneling into the front door, smiling with excitement and anticipation as they got their ticket punched and then skipped their way into the movie theater. 
A chill went up the spine of Brother Pugh as he read the name of the film that everyone was so excited to see that night, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. He displayed it so vividly, that last word hell, in big black bold letters that perched right above the doorway of the movie theater. And he explained so perfectly the twisted feeling that he got in his stomach as he watched man, woman, and child slip under the doorway labeled hell with smiles on their faces. And I I remember this feeling of conviction falling over me in that little beat-up pickup truck and tears that would fill my eyes and stream down my face as conviction filled me with with, uh, dread and I heard the preacher lament after a world that was walking into hell smiling and excited not really knowing what laid on the other side of the doorway. He would preach until his heart was weary and he would preach until his lungs were dry crying and calling for the church to fulfill the mission that has been given to them and that is to save lost souls from going to hell. Perhaps no church was better at this mission, or more successful, I should say, at this mission than that of the first century church led by the apostles. They baptized 3,000 people in one day. They performed many miracles and wonders in the sight of God, so many, in fact, that they had to actually convince people that they themselves were not gods and that they themselves didn't have the power of of, of gods. But they, they didn't struggle for motivation in this church. They didn't suffer from spiritual anemia in this church. They were a well equipped and they were an efficient church that witnessed deep move of gods on a daily basis. All of these great and marvelous things that they did that stemmed from that first encounter with Christ's spirit at the day of Pentecost. An encounter that was so great and unlike anything ever seen before that it caused a crowd to rise and and question, what is this? A question that Peter could confidently answer. He could rise and he could say, this is that. What you are witnessing is prophecy coming to pass. This is that. This is God's spirit being poured out on all flesh. This is the reason that Jesus came to this earth. This is the reason that Jesus died on a cross. These are the last days, and it is important that you understand this great move of God that you are witnessing because it is necessity for the salvation of your soul. And there was something that day in that particular move of God that convinced Peter beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is that. My question to you today is a simple one. If Peter himself were to walk in the back doors of our church, and if Peter were to partake of our service and see our praise and our worship, and if he himself were to witness our preaching and, and response to the word of God in our altar calls, would he be able to stand and definitively say about us, this is that? Or would he look around at, in question and confusion and say, is this that? Allow me to place a, a little bit of a microscope on this. If he were to come to your pew, and he were to sit at the end of your pew and look down at your praise and your worship and your response to the word of God, would he say about you, this is that? Or would he question, is this that? If he were to come home with you today 
and see and sit down at your dining room table and hear the conversations that you and your family talk about, if he were to listen to the same music that you listen to when you're on your car ride from home, would he be able to say about you and your lifestyle, this is that? Or would he question, is this that? I come with the word of the Lord today that I believe he has quickened in my heart. It is not my goal to offend you. It is not my goal to open a debate with you. I simply just look to preach the word today. And I hope that the church will preach with me. Amen. In his story of people wandering into hell's doors without a full understanding of what hell really is, J.T. Pugh posits a call to action for the church. A call to action that would hopefully spark the heart of a person that day to start praying and start fasting. A call to action that would hopefully convict a younger man to take up the mantle of ministry and aid in the effort of the kingdom. A call that would hopefully give a young woman the confidence she needed to stand out from the crowd and to do something great for her God. And I feel with urgency from the very beginning today to tell you that that call to action that Brother Pew preached about some 30 years ago still exists in today's world. That call to action that was so fervently for the church still exists for the church today. So allow me to say, young person, if you hear my voice right now and you feel a call on your life, please listen to this preacher and don't ignore the call that God is placing on you because it's evident to me, it's clear to me that we need preachers and teachers who will take up the burden of ministry and will carry it forward. We need prayer warriors in our church today that will lead us into spiritual warfare and we need people fasting that will take us to depths of the spirit in these last days we need a whole church that is spiritually equipped and determined to deliver the whole gospel to the whole world a pastor said it best when he described the difference between holiness and wholeness he said holiness can be defined for man as what's on the outside You can look at a person and by their appearance you can define they look holy. They seem holy. They talk holy. But wholeness is more defined on what is the internal of that person. What is on the inside of that person. And I believe that the mark of the church is the same way. A church can be seen and, and, and by appearance and by ritual and, and by practice and they can be looked at and, and by classifi- classification be considered holy. But a whole church is defined by what happens on the inside. And if you think of, that I'm saying just by what happens inside these four walls, that's not what I'm talking about because I hope your understanding of the church isn't that it's just a place, but it is a people. So a whole church is defined by the practice of the people and by the, by the movement of the people. A whole church understands that what it, what it means to be the hands and the feet of Christ. A whole church has a passion for the lost and the broken and the hurting. A church that is spiritually whole will not care to try to make and make the lost look like them, they will care enough to try to make the lost live like them. You see, I love being a part of a holy church. Don't get me wrong, that's important, but more than anything today, I want to be a part of a whole church, a body of people that understands we love broken people. Despite they're messed up, despite that they're broken, it doesn't matter if anybody else wants them. We want the broken and the hurt. We want the people that the, the society turns away because we are the whole church and we need to deliver the whole gospel to the whole world. 
We need this today, now, more than ever. For these are the last days. That is why we are here. This is why we are called to help bring people to Jesus in these last days. I remember when I was a child, my very first pastor, Ed Braswell, would preach about the coming of the Lord. He'd have big old veins popping out of his head, spit all over the microphone. I remember grabbing the microphone sometimes, and if you ever smelled a microphone that a preacher preaches in, that'll make you pray through. I remember when I was a little kid sitting on the pew listening to my pastor Ed Braswell preach about the coming of the Lord. And I remember my mother telling me that when she was young herself, growing up in that same church under that same pastor, that when she was my age and she was young, that she heard Pastor Braswell preach about the coming of the Lord. And my grandmother even, when she first came to church, she was a first-generation apostolic, when she first came as a young woman in her 20s, she heard Brother Braswell preach the coming of Jesus Christ. For three generations, the same preacher in the same church preached the same message, the coming of the Lord. And a lot of people will look at that and discredit and say, well, uh, the coming of the Lord is washed down and it's, it's overhyped because it's been preached for so long. But allow me to challenge that way of thinking today. You've got to understand that when Peter spoke those words on the day of Pentecost, this is that. And in the last days, he will pour out his spirit. When he said those words, he started heaven's stopwatch. He started a timer in heaven. A timer that for the last 2,000 years has been counting down minute by minute, second by second. And while the earth has gone through different time periods, such as the Middle Ages and Reformations and Renaissances and industrial booms, all the way to what we know now as the modern era, all that time from heaven's perspective has been placed in one category, the last days. So it makes sense to me that God impresses it upon apostolic preachers to preach about the last days before the coming of the Lord because for the last 2,000 years, it has been expected by God that the apostolic church would be in constant in-time revival. That they would be constantly seeking the in-time revival that is prophesied uh, to us. You have to understand that from the day you were born to the day that you die, you have been living in the end times. And in the end times, revival is the expectation, not the hopeful dream. In the end times, it is expected that the apostolic church would be in constant revival. Not revival just because the big name preacher is rolling through. Not revival that is, is, is associated with feeling and predicated on emotion. Not revival, well, all the church is feeling good and we got the right praise team today, so we might have revival. No, that's not the kind of revival that I'm talking about because there's end-time revival that is expected from the church. Revival that will say we'll keep praying until we see it come. We'll keep praying until we see miracles happen. We'll sit and we'll wait on the Lord of God and the Lord of Lords to come into this room. It doesn't matter if it takes all night. We need revival. We need something to happen. This revival that is prophesied to us and given to us becomes very specific with its doctrine, and with its recipe. Can I tell somebody today that the recipe for revival still works? 
The recipe for revival still works. You ask me, what are you talking about? It's not that hard. Repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We've had it spelled out. We've had it preached to us time and time before. I will tell you something. The church will lose its purpose when the biblical recipe for revival loses its power. And let me just tell you, it's never going to lose its power. I wish I had a seasoned saint that would say, there's still power in the name of Jesus. There's still power in repentance. There's still power in Jesus' name baptism. I'll tell you, I didn't find power at the bottom of any bottle. I didn't find power at the back of any bedroom. But I found power when I got on my knees and I got on my face in an altar and I was filled with the powerful name of the Holy Ghost which is Jesus Christ if you need power today let me just make it clear Jesus is in this room and we still have purpose we still have meaning as long as the name of Jesus still has its power And God mandated that revival would happen in this world. And he chose the apostolic church to bring this revival to pass. You see, the apostles' doctrine and revival have always been married. You cannot have one without the other. There's a scripture that says, judge a tree by the fruit it bears. If your roots of your tree are apostolic, the fruit that you bear has to be revival. If your fruit is bearing other things than revival, you probably want to check your roots. You probably want to check the integrity of your devotion time. You probably want to check the integrity of your prayer time. You probably want to check the integrity of your praise and your worship and see what you're worshiping. Because if you are apostolic, and the last time I checked, Landmark is an apostolic church, amen? then the fruit that we bear as a church and as a person, doesn't matter if we're all together or it doesn't matter, just one of you. You have to bear the fruit of revival. But you see, planting the seed of the apostles' doctrine in a person isn't enough to make that seed grow the fruit of revival. Planting the seed alone is not enough, but the seed has to be nurtured. It has to be watered. I can preach the apostles' doctrine to you, to you today until I'm blue in the face and passing out. And I, I can plant that seed of doctrine here today, but if you do not apply the word to your life, if you do not water the seed appropriately, then it does absolutely no good for you hearing the word. And in order to water the seed, you can not only hear the word, but you must do the word. The reason that you came here today, I hope, is because of the commandment, keep the Sabbath day holy. And by coming here today, you have taken one step into doing the word. But it doesn't stop there. I challenge you to show me one apostolic on the day of Pentecost, one person in the room that was simply just a part of the crowd, that was simply just a part of the observer section, that was simply just waiting on the sideline. Man, some of y'all know I'm getting ready to set you up. <laughs> I challenge you to show me one person that day that gladly received the word of the Lord and decided I'm just going to check this out for a while. I'm just going to keep it and just test drive it and maybe hold on to it until the warranty expires and then I'll get rid of it. I challenge you to show me one. 
No, actually verse 41 of that scripture that we read says, they that received the word gladly were baptized and then added unto the church. There was no room for crowd in the first century church. There was no room for observers. It was either you're in this or you're not. Let me tell you, God does not want a church full of crowd members today. And here's why. Crowd members don't last. The crowd either becomes part of the core of the church or they slip out the back doors and into the world. Either way, the crowd does not last. Either way, the bystanders, they they don't last very long. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Let me just tell you something. God does not want a church full of crowd members. He wants a church full of core apostolic believers. So you have to decide today. You have to decide today. Am I the crowd or am I the core? Am I a crowd member or am I a core member? Am I somebody that's going to be the hands and feet of Christ like I'm called to be? Am I somebody that recognizes there's truth and there's power in this doctrine that this preacher's talking about? Or am I just somebody that just wants to check it out and just see if it's for me? Am I somebody that just wants to sit on the sideline? I believe that I'm preaching to a church today full of core apostolic members. People that say, I want to see a difference made in my city. I want to see a difference made in the people that I work with. I want to see a difference made in our high schools. I want to see a difference made in the place that I work. I want to see a difference made in where I live, in my neighborhoods, in my streets, because we can't afford to be crowd members anymore. We don't have time to sit on the back pew and just wait and see if this is what it's it's going to be, if this is going to be for us. No, God wants a church full of core apostolic people. Core apostolic people, people that are not afraid to be apostolic in doctrine and in practice. Apostolic in doctrine and in practice. And when I think of apostolic practice, yes, I think of Jesus' name baptism. Yes, I think of people getting filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. Yes, I think of those things, but that's not really what I want to talk about today. Sister Lonnie, when I think of apostolic practice, I cannot help but think of the power of apostolic praise and worship. Because there has never been a power that I felt in this earth than the power when I feel apostolic people get into a room and start to praise in unity. Let me tell you, the atmosphere begins to shift when apostolic people begin to praise. The atmosphere, something changes, something breaks, something moves. When people begin to call on the name of Jesus Christ, there is power in that name. And when people begin to praise unconditionally, it doesn't matter what I'm going through, it doesn't matter my circumstance. It doesn't matter my situation. I'm here to praise today. I'm here to worship today. Why? Because he's worthy of my worship. Because he's worthy of my praise. It doesn't matter if the song they're singing is one that I like or I don't like. He's still worthy of my praise. It doesn't matter if I come in broken, beaten, and bruised. He's still worthy of my praise. He's still worthy of my worship. And when you start worshiping and you start praising, there's something that begins to shift. There's something that begins 
begins to change. There's anointing that begins to fall when people raise their hands and when people lift their voice and start calling on the name of Jesus. There's something that moves in the spirit. There's something that shakes every chain of sin that I'm bound up in. There's something that breaks the, the, the tension in the room and there's anointing that falls on us. I wish we'd just take a moment right now and lift our hands, lift our voices and call on the name of Jesus. It's not hype. It's not overdrawn. No, that's power. When you start lifting up the name of Jesus, that's power that comes on you. That's power that comes on you. Power that gives you the ability to prophesy to your situation. Prophesy to your brokenness. Prophesy over your lost loved ones. That's Holy Ghost power. I remember in that little church, Bontair, Sister McDaniel was diagnosed with cancer, stage four lung cancer. And she was given a date that she was going to die. Said there's no hope. I remember little Sister McDaniel, frail, with a walker. You know what she did every Sunday? Back in that day, y'all are blessed with the worship team. Y'all have got the instruments. Y'all have got the, the, the perfect singers. It sounded beautiful. He did amazing today. Back in those days, all we had was the hymnals, the books. And I don't know what we would sing, you know. Uh, sometimes we sing Kumbaya, my Lord. Sometimes we sing that old song that we sing today, Power in the Blood. It didn't matter what we were singing. It didn't matter what was going on. Sister McDaniel would always come down to the front, and she would always stand over to the right side uh, of the stage, and she was always dancing, and she was always worshiping, and she was always praising her God. She came in with stage four lung cancer, said that she was going to pass away, and it didn't change her motivation to praise. It didn't, it didn't distract her. It didn't discourage her. It didn't depress her. No, she came in on Sunday, and she still praised her God like she never praised her God before. And let me tell you something. Sister McDaniel is still there today. They told her that she would pass away over 10 years ago, and she's still there today with not a single cell of cancer in her body. Why? Because praise and worship changes your situation because praise and worship to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has something that changes your situation. There's power in the name of Jesus. I remember grandma and grandpa growing up, they didn't get along very well. They were apostolic and they fought and they were married. You're saying that married people fight? What? My Lord, God bless them. Me and my wife don't ever fight. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> and one day, they got so sick of their arguments, they got so sick of their frustration and things that weren't working out, and this is a true story, that my grandpa actually took it upon himself to just end it all right here, right now. He took a big old five-gallon jug of gasoline, poured it all over their bedroom, poured it down their hallway into their kitchen and in their living room, and he lit his house on fire. Insurance companies don't like when you do that. Insurance company, grandma went to make a claim. And they said, well, the house was in his name. Damages are his responsibility. We're not going to cover it. There was grandma, homeless, living in our basement. And listen, I love grandma. 
but I love grandma at a distance, okay? I don't need her living in my bedroom. No, I'm just kidding. Grandma, if you're watching, I love you. But she was told, we're not going to cover it. You're going to have to find your own way. You're going to have to make your own, make your own path. That, on Sunday, she came in. It was a pretty desperate situation. It was broken. It, it seemed like it was over. It seemed like there was no way out. That was it. She came down on Sunday, and she started worshiping. She started praising her God, and she lifted her hands, and I remember watching my grandmother dance before the Lord. And it wasn't, God, I'm in despair. Get me out of the situation. There's nothing wrong with that. It was just praise. It was unapologetic praise because he was worthy of praise that day. I don't even, I can't even explain it, but the next Monday, the day after, she got a call from her insurance company, and she said, we got, they said, we got you a new rep that's on your case. We're going to cover the damages completely, and not only are we going to cover the damages, but we're going to pay for a brand new house to be built in the spot that the old home was. I don't know. I, I, I can't explain it. All I know to tell you is that when you start worshiping Jesus, things start happening. If you come in a broken situation, I don't care if it's physical. I don't care if it's spiritual. I don't care if it's financial. If you start worshiping today and you start calling on Jesus, things are going to start changing in your life. Things are going to start changing in your situation. I got story after story, testimony after testimony. I'm sure that you do too. But I just need to simply explain to you today there's power in the name of Jesus y'all have probably already heard this story I just heard this story a couple days ago I hope you don't mind me telling it Timothy was sick I didn't even know Timothy was sick until after he was sick thank you He was so sick that he laid flat for what, five days? Four or five days. Couldn't move, couldn't get out of his bed, was losing weight. He looked good though. <laughs> so sick he couldn't move. Sister Burke said, I, I, I decided, she just told us this story the other night. I hope this is all right. She decided, I'm going to go to the church, I'm going to travail. And I'm going to pray that God would make a difference in my boy's life. And she said, I got there and I really didn't intend on it happening. She didn't even know she was feeding my sermon when she told me this. She said, I didn't really intend on it happening. But what happened was I broke out in praise and I broke out in worship. And I just started praising God for what he was going to do. She called Jen and said, Jen, I think you just need to go into a time of warfare. I think you need to go into a time of praise that will take you into warfare. And Jen, you did that. That was, what was it, Saturday, Friday night? That was Friday night that she did that. Saturday morning, after sitting flat for five days, Saturday morning, he sat up straight in his bed. First time he moved in days. He said, I, there's, a, there's a little bit of something. There's a little bit of strength in me. I think we need to go get this checked out. Their praise at that time, maybe they thought that God, as soon as he sat up, God was just going to heal him like that. That's not exactly how it happened. They took him to the hospital. They said, we found out that he had ammonia. And if he would have stayed laying flat, it only would have gotten worse. But since we know and can identify what it is now, now we can start to treat it and take care of it. Let me just tell you something. Your praise can do multiple things. Your worship can do multiple things. It can completely wipe the problem out, or it can take and pull your problem apart until we can identify exactly what it is.
I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. If you are lost in a spirit of confusion and you're lost in a spirit of question and you don't really have all the answers and you don't really know what's happening next and you're in a place in life where you don't even know what the next step is, let me tell you something. Your praise and your worship can pick your problem apart and can identify exactly what the problem is and can offer clarity in a moment of confusion and can offer a healing in the moment where you didn't feel like restoration was going to take place. Praise and worship can change something in your life today where you can walk out of this place a changed and clarified person. Thank you, Brother Timothy. I, I wish we would just stand right now. I'm not done yet, but I wish we'd just stand right now and we would just start praising him. It doesn't have to be a very specific. Just give him praise right now for who he is to you. Give him praise because he's worthy of it. Give him worship because he's worthy of it. Come on, lift your voice, church, and start praising Jesus. Start praising him. Yeah, that's okay. Just take a minute. Come on. Worship him. Worship him. Come on, praise him, church. Praise him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I wish you'd remain standing with me for just a moment. I got to tell you, just a few weeks ago, we had a revival at our church, and there was a, a, a moment where we were, we were coming to the altar, and I just felt a praise call come over me. I just felt a spirit of praise come over me. And God made some things very clear to me about my praise and my worship. God made some things clear to me exactly what praise is and what worship is. I would like to point out three things to you. One, praise and worship is not hypocritical. The devil tries to sneak thoughts into our mind that tells us if we praise that, that we are liars and if we praise that, that we're unworthy to lift our hands and, and that you, you, shouldn't be, you should be ashamed of what you are because just this week you were sinning and you were gladly sinning and now you think you're going to come in and praise. You're not worthy of that. Let me tell you something. This is what God told me to tell you. Praise is not hypocritical. What I'm saying is, I don't care what you did this week. I don't care where you were this week. I don't care what you went through. You have the ability to praise today. You have the ability to worship today. Why? Not because you're worthy, but because he's worthy. And when you start praising, let me tell you something. The reason that the devil tries to sneak that thought into your mind is because he knows if he can stop your praise and he can stop your worship, he can keep you from doing the one thing that will break you out of that sin that you're giving yourself to is praise and worship. Number two, our praise is mandated from the Lord. Our praise is not a response. Our praise is mandated. If you're looking to respond to what God is doing, I challenge you to respond to the preacher. I challenge you to respond in the altar. But when the praise and worship team gets up there, that is not the moment for you to decide, well, it sounds good, so I guess I'm going to respond. No, praise and worship is a mandate. 
The moment that you wake up in the morning and you set your feet on the ground, you ought to be praising the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Why? Because it's a mandate for his people. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what your circumstance is. You have the ability and the necessity to praise his name at all times. And number three, this is the most important for the church. Praise provides unity. Praise provides unity. I believe that this church is reaching another level in the spirit. I believe that this church is reaching a new depth in the spirit. And you will start reaching depth after depth after depth after you start working together in unity. I know you've been standing for a while. Just hang with me because God's getting ready to move. When you start working together in unity, you will start seeing revival unlike anything you've ever seen before. And the way that we can unify ourselves is not through program. Those are good. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not knocking anything against our outreach and our program. That's great. But when you start praying and praising on Jesus and him crucified and him alone, that is when unity will sweep your church and sweep your family. And when you start praising Jesus unconditionally, unconditionally, day after day, you will start providing unity and you will start having revival unlike anything that you've ever seen before. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter rose to preach to the crowd members and they respond to the question, what is this? And he said, this is that. In the midst of everybody praising, in the midst of everybody worshiping, he began to preach one thing, Jesus. On that day, even though people were praising, he didn't preach about praise. On that day, even though 3,000 people were baptized, he didn't preach about baptism. People were being healed, miracles were happening. He didn't preach on miracles, for Peter understood miracles only happen in the name of Jesus. Baptism only has its power in the name of Jesus. Repentance only changes a person's life and when it's given unto Jesus. People are filled with the Holy Ghost only when they cry on the name of Jesus. So Peter preached the only thing that could make the miraculous possible, Jesus. He preached the only name that has the power to save man from sin and that name is Jesus. He preached the only thing that could fill people with the Holy Spirit and that name is Jesus. It is not wasted on to me, on me today. If we want to see miracles happen in our lives, if we want to see lost loved ones saved, we got to start calling on the name of Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. This might be a little different. I hope it's okay. I asked these, these prayer warriors to come up here. I'm going to start preaching the name of Jesus again. And when I do, I want you to lift your hands and I want you to pray that Jesus and his spirit would fill this room. And when I start preaching the name and the gospel of Jesus, I, I wonder when you're ready, if you would just take a step out and you would just start the calling on the name of Jesus with us and that you would line up next to these prayer warriors and that you would start declaring Jesus over your household, that you would start declaring Jesus over your finances, that you would start declaring Jesus over your sickness, that you would start declaring Jesus over your lost loved ones. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and I wonder if we can lift our hands and when you're ready, you just take a step out and we start praying together in the name of Jesus.
There in the town of Bethlehem, a child was born in a manger. Angels and man worshiped the birth of this child because this was the child prophesied about in Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You see, this child was no ordinary child, for he was born fully human and fully God. This child was Jesus Christ. Jesus began his ministry at 30 years of age. He began preaching and teaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Many marveled at his understanding of Scripture and the news spread of this great theologian. And as he entered back into his homeland of Nazareth, he began teaching in their synagogue on the Sabbath day when he rose and he spoke and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to set the captive free. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty into this land. He sent me to recover the sight of the blind and to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Today, the prophecy is fulfilled, for I am the promised son spoken by Isaiah. After that, he went into many cities and territories, doing exactly what he said he would do. He preached to the broken. He preached to the poor. He laid hands on those that were sick and making them whole again. He cast demons out from those that were possessed. He commanded life back into those that were dead. He opened the eyes of those that were blind. But he didn't only perform physical healings. He performed spiritual healings as well. They threw an adulterer down at his feet. And Jesus said, we're not going to kill her. But instead, we're going to defend this sinful woman. And he picks her up off the ground. And he says, go and sin no more. Surely I have perceived that there is no sickness in my body. And there is no sickness in my spirit that can separate me from the love of God. You are never too far gone that Jesus cannot reach you. You are never too messed up that Jesus cannot use you. You are never too sinful that Jesus cannot pick you up from where you are. Somebody cry on the name of Jesus. I feel miracles shifting in the room. I feel sickness leaving in this room. Somebody call on the name of Jesus right now. At 33 years old, Jesus was sentenced to death and his fate was sealed. And though he could have walked away from the cross, though he could have picked it up and he could have left, he took the cross instead. He took the chains instead. He took the whipping instead. And Jesus chose to die a sinner's death even though he never committed a sin in his life. But his decision to die on the cross was not in vain for that was the purpose and the call of his life. Jesus who was God wrapped in flesh hung on a cross bearing the sin of every man and woman and child ever walked this earth. He died on the cross so that you could live a life saved from your sin. And there was power in his sacrifice. Why? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. The same name that we speak when we baptize. The same name that numbered the stars in heaven. The same name that we, we cast out sickness and disease. It's the same name that we shout in victory. It's the same name that we cry in the moment of defeat. It's the same name that became a placeholder for every sin that you'd ever commit. Somebody call on the name of Jesus. Yes! 
And because Jesus took the cross, sin has lost its power. Death has lost its sting. The grave has lost its victory. There is not a sin that you can commit that can keep you separated from the love of God. Somebody cry out the name of Jesus over your family, over your children, over your situation. Come on, call on the name of the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord right now. If you feel led right now to go and pray for somebody, I wish that you'd go and lay hands on somebody right now because Jesus is moving in this place. He has the power to perform the miraculous. He has the power to save you from your sin. He has the power to pick you up when you're broken and when you're down. Come on, mama, pray for your babies. Come on, daddy, pray for your household. It's time to step up and let God be in charge of what's going on. Come on, somebody, pray in the name of Jesus. I wish you'd prophesy in the name of Jesus. Prophesy over your sickness. Prophesy over your finances. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. 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 Y